uh, we are, th- this morning I, I feel um, I'm going to talk for a little while, and, and it's been a morning where uh, I'm going to just, in the best sense, just adding some words that flesh out what we are seeing, and what we're experiencing, what's been before you. Um, so I want to jump into it this morning. Um, very soon, as Josh said, in a couple of weeks we're going to start um, uh, Advent, a series of Advents. We lead, uh, lead towards um, celebrating the coming of Jesus. We want Jesus to come again afresh. That's very much the spirit of our intentional every year. We do this, go through Advent, and, and we're saying, Jesus, come again into our world. Come again afresh. But the next four weeks, Josh and I are going to do just a series um, uh, called Cornerstone Distinctives. And um, uh, we're going to talk about things that, we, a project we've been working on for a while. I've told this, it's a bit of an origin story in a lot of ways. It's an origin story of this season, for, for me anyway, for this season in the life of our church. And what, um, what has felt important. It was in 2018, um, uh, the church was going through, was in the middle or sort of starting the biggest transition um, and in a real place of, I guess, uncertainty and change because that's what transition is. And um, uh, Pastor Charles and Chris, after planning the church 26 years before, had stepped down. They were at the time worshipping another church. It's great that they're back here with us. We didn't, we let them go for a little while, but then we, we sucked them back in. Uh, <laughs> And Josh had put up his hand in that period of time to um, be the interim senior pastor. And uh, it's out in the Blue Room. It was early 2018. It was only a few months after um, uh, Christy had passed away. I I was in a place where I was not really sure what I was going to do with the rest of my week, let alone the rest of my life. Um, But we were here, and to a group of leaders, Josh was speaking to uh, to this season. And he said... He felt like now was a time to be more like ourselves, more like Cornerstone than ever before. And it's one of those times, I know many people here will, will know what I'm talking about, where if my, um, the kind of, the churchy language is my spirit witness to it. It was like a sense in which, oh, that's, that's a good saying, but that's really, that's God speaking to me. I felt like a prophetic, that's really important. The idea that, and Josh, I think at the time in wisdom was, in those times of transition, whenever there's a big transition, there's always a sense of what's possible and people like, we could do this and we could do that and we could, you know, uh, transition is about change and lots of conversation about what needed to change. And Josh was saying, now was a time, as well as change, to think about who we've always been. And I carried that a few months later, I was in the role, and I carried that sense, this is really important. There's been who God has been in and through Cornerstone. That story continues. And... I felt like it was a really important... I started playing around with this idea. Firstly, in my own mind, it felt important to clarify what what are the distinctives of who God has been in and through Cornerstone. And that started a project. um, Got a little bit more serious about that and drew in some other people. Um, Little thing, not sure if you've heard it, called COVID happened. So it's been a little bit COVID uh, affected. But we've been working away at this. And um, over the last little while... We feel we've come up with things, and, and we've gone backwards and forwards. Many of you in the room here have had a really important role in shaping. We said, this is what we're thinking. They're going, yeah, well, maybe not that word, or maybe that idea. Or It's really undergone. The first document that I, that I sort of wrote as a starting point, it looks nothing like that anymore. And that is great. The end, it's so much better. It's so much truer. Um, 
And so it's been very much this sort of bottom-up thing. And over the next four weeks, Josh and I are going to just present these as ideas. We're also going to give you an opportunity to come and wrestle with it. The idea of this, it's not about like what makes Cornerstone special and we're not like all the other kids. It's not that spirit. It's like these things are true and of essence because they're in the heart of God. They're, they've always been what the church is about. But churches and communities do have like a grace or a, a, a um, this is the way in which we've always felt like when we, when we do these things, there's fruit. And it's good to be clear on those things. Um, so the first one, so let me just jump into it very quickly. I'm going to spend some time talking about, well, one of them, sort of two this morning. Um, but here's what the big ideas that shape who we are. Firstly, Jesus following, spirit-filled, missional, family, and wholehearted. Uh, and you, you'll see the way there's some, there's some words next to it. Actually, at another time, and you'll get a copy of this and a chance to sort of discuss it. It's like it's, it, we're, we're, we're writing this in, in slow-drying cement. We've been doing it for about two years, slowly changing the words. Is that the right word? Is that right? Boy, have we discussed words, if you've ever done this before. We are so blessed. Liz Greats has come on the team um, uh, to help write in the last... It went through so many changes that it started to sound... Have you ever read a document that's been written by 50 people? <laughs> Terrible. And Liz came and brought all of that and gave it a voice that's us and such a gifted person. And so, But boy, have we discussed some words. There's a couple, a few little ones I've got to talk to you afterwards about too. Well uh, but this is, we think, at least 50% there. No, no, it's more, it's more. What we are trying to do in this, you may have heard me talk about this before. You've certainly heard me talk about this principle. We are attempting in this document to do one of the, what seems to be the most impossible thing for the modern 21st century human being, Westerner which is to actually believe that two things can be true at the same time. Now, that seems almost impossible these days, particularly if you go through anywhere, any social media. Actually, two things that might even seem to be opposite, two things, intelligent people, and the room is full of them, know that two things can be true at the same time, right? Not just one thing. We are polarising into these silos where it's just one thing that we believe, and, and that's what's happening around the world on any given issue. But actually, we're doing this thing where we're saying, well, actually, when it comes to Jesus following, we embrace simplicity. And we've talked about this. And, and in fact, we've just done a whole series on the Jesus, which is why we're not going to address that. Today, I'm actually going to look at um, the missional. And next week, um, uh, Josh is going to pick up Spirit Field. Talk about mission in the moment. But when it comes to Jesus following, there's this phrase afterwards. We're saying we embrace simplicity. You've heard me talk about this. Jesus is just like the ultimate reboot. When we get lost, what, what are we meant to be doing in the complexity of the world? We come and say we're just trying to follow Jesus. Even, and, and this may, I've said this before, and you may feel it sounds a little bit heretical, it's not meant to be. Even before we're saying we're trying to be a modern Christian, we're just trying to, we're actually just trying to be an ancient Jesus follower. And what does that look like now? Because actually, there's some confusion. It's very contested. And, and, and as soon as you become a Christian, you've got to kind of say, well, which kind? And what? And what above and we're just trying to follow Jesus. There's something incredibly refreshing and releasing, but saying we're just trying to follow Jesus. 
So that's this thing over here. However, if you try and follow Jesus in your workplace or in your street or in your family, guess what happens? Complexity. We get that it's complete. We're not trying to, we're not trying to be simplistic. We understand that because of the claims that Jesus makes about life and who we are and the world we live in, that actually means we're going to be needing to engage in very complex issues. And we're okay about that too. It means that actually we're going to have to be good at believing that two things could be true, that we could be having a discussion and you could be right and I could be right. Because there's complexity. And so by this idea that we are reaching, when it comes to Jesus following, we're reaching for the simplicity, but we're also reaching for the complexity. You've seen me do this before? That's, that's a tension. But it's also what balance looks like, right? When you reach for two things. And so in all of this, there's a sense in which this has formed us, but we're pursuing something in the future. So we're going to stay faithful to following Jesus, but we're going to do that in our day and age in the future. And that means it's going to, we're going to have to have some difficult conversations about gender, about sexuality, about politics. It's okay, we're up for that because we're committed to that. We are Jesus followers. So that's the idea. And as you go through all of them, you'll see that there's the, oh, what have I done? Spirit-filled. We honour our heritage, but we're pursuing that in the future. What does that look like to be spirit-filled here and now? We know what, many of you know what it's like to look like in the 90s or the 80s or 70s or before that, some of you. What does it look like in the 21st century here and now to be spirit-filled? Well, we're, we're actually saying we don't assume to be experts about that. We might have been experts about what it looked like in the 2000s, in the 1990s. Right here now, no one's an expert. We are learning together. We are pursuing that. We honour our heritage. We're going to take that with us. But we're all learning together. That's the idea of balance there. Family, we're better together, but we also have each role to play. Do you see the dichotomy there? We're, it's about us, but actually it's also about everyone's got a unique play to, place to, part to play. Um, wholehearted. We want all God has for us, but we know it's not about us. So we're going to look at this one. Missional. And I love talking about this stuff. So I've got to stay focused because I could literally talk about all day the idea about being a missional church. Now, some of you, if you've been around churches for a while, you immediately hear missions. You put an S on the end of it. Oh, yeah, no, we're a missions church. We've got a map on the board. We talk about people going us. Supporting people who do God's work overseas is absolutely a part of being missional. But it's not, we're not saying we like to send people overseas or, or far away, that that's what being missional is. It's actually this word has got some meat to it. It's got a little bit of a, I could nerd out on it a little while, but I'm going to try and unpack that because it's got a beautiful meaning that's rooted in the heart of God about what, what is God doing in the earth? What is God doing in the earth? And we want to be about what God is doing. What is a missional church? Uh, I'm going to quote a couple of people here. In the early 2000s, I had just um, started at Cornerstone, maybe a couple of years I was the I just started, so I think I was the youth leader. I was not yet trusted to be the youth pastor, and that was very wise from Charles. And um, Charles and I went along to um, like a seminar with two, it was run by two guys, a guy called Alan Hirsch and Michael Frost. And these two people, it was the first ever time they'd run something in Queensland about this thing called the Missional Church. There was about 30, you remember that, Charles? I remember about 30 people there. And uh, 
these two guys were putting forward some ideas that uh, I was just a young punk. Some of the old, uh, uh, older, more wiser people in the room, well, there was a bit of toing and froing because they were saying some pretty controversial stuff. And some of it maybe not saying, as all people who come, prophets, to stir something up, they were stirring something up. They were very successful. Um, but at the heart of it, these two have since gone on to be some of the, the, the leading kind of thinkers and practitioners around the, what's become known as the missional church movement, which is a massive, I think it's been a, something so important uh, to, the, to the body of Christ. So I'm going to refer to them because I think I find they're, they're both now have done PhDs, they've done multiple books, and I, the fact that they're Aussies, talking from the Aussie context to the world, I love that. And they're just great thinkers. Um, done that bit. So this is Dr. Alan Hirsch. He says, a missional church is a community of God's people that defines itself and organises its life around the purpose of being an agent. The church is an agent. It's a vessel for God's mission in the world. That, in a nutshell, is the best definition I can find. The sort of, there's a lot in it. But it's a group of people who define itself and organise itself, shape itself around the idea that God uses us for his mission in the world. That's what being a missional church is. Have, if you've been around for a while, mm -hmm. you will have seen these photos. Yes. Not because I know a thing about boats. In fact, I know enough to know that I keep calling them boats and people get upset, they're ships. <laughs> they are ships. If you've been around very quickly, here's this idea of how mission shapes things. At one level, those ships are very similar. I actually would like to put that one on <laughs> again, it's Aussie. But it doesn't quite have, I couldn't find an, an Aussie Coast Guard. So one is a US Coast Guard ship, one is a cruise liner. You've heard, if you've been around, you've heard me talk about this before. At one level, very similar. Do similar things. People on each one of those vessels actually have very similar jobs. There's a bunch of people whose job it is to steer and to navigate. There's a bunch of people whose job it is to make sure the engine's going well. There's a bunch of people to make sure that all the people on the ship get fed. There's a bunch of people to make sure that all the people on the ship do the right things at the right time, you will know within 30 seconds, which you could close your eyes, I could lead you, and you will know within 30 seconds which one you're on though, won't you? Completely different. Why? What, what changes them? Their purpose. One of those exists completely and solely for only everybody on the ship. The other one exists solely and completely for people not on the ship. And the mission shapes it. This is what it is to be a missional church, to be, to not just sort of agree that these are the right things, but to allow ourselves to be shaped by that. I'm going to play a video, and this does a compare and contrast. It's a bit of an old one. You can tell this is an old video because it's, well, you, you'll tell straight away that it's old by the shape of it. It's a square. Do you remember squares? We, <laughs> we used to have, we had squares once, now we've got rectangles. This contrasts the missional church um, and it, this explains it really well and simply, but by doing a contrast, and it kind of sounds like it's having a go at churches because it, it turns up the volume on contrast. If you automatically start thinking of a specific church, don't do that. It's not really about that. We're staying in our lane. It's not about what I, but, but, but for the sake of contrast, this gets to the heart of perhaps what a missional church is or does. Let's take a look. This is the missional church. In the past, churches have spent large amounts of resources to construct the most attractive places imaginable for the community in which they were situated. 
great music, compelling teaching, and a host of programs designed to gather people together were the staple of such church communities. Anyone who wanted to come was welcome, and church members were encouraged to invite their friends and neighbors. Generally, people had a pleasant experience. The people who came and were cared for seemed relatively similar. Education, income, pastimes, race, struggles, and histories seemed to be almost identical. Eventually, someone asked the question, what about all the people who aren't like us, but who live around us? Why aren't they here too? In response, the church increased its marketing budget, direct mailing the community, taking out ads in local papers, buying radio time, releasing a fresh webpage, and offering to host the world's greatest event. <laughs> the church was determined to be the center of everything great that happened in the community. Church members began to rely on the church to do the work of conveying God's story in the world. If someone could be brought to an event, they could hear about Jesus from a professional teacher. Inviting people became synonymous with evangelism. The missional church, on the other hand, empowers its members to be the church in the community. The church trains, resources, encourages, and challenges its people to live out the good news in their community with those who would otherwise be suspicious of a church and its marketing efforts. The church sends out its members to live among people unfamiliar with church customs, songs, and what it holds sacred, just like a foreign missionary. The missional church recognizes then that every believer embodies the life of the church in their neighborhood, in their school, or at their place of work. Each one of them telling God's story in the context of compassionate and genuine relationships. So there we go. I, I, again, in watching that, I feel like there's probably not been a better Sunday I could preach this message on. Well, hopefully you see that reflected. Like I said, us talking to these things is saying this has always been an essence. If you've been around Cornerstone for a while... Any, hopefully, I think any length of time. To be honest, the last couple of years have maybe been our, just because there's, again, that little thing called COVID, has maybe been uh, our lowest time. But if you've been around, there's always been this sense in which we recognise what's happening out there. God is at work out there. And um, it's always been a place where I think people who've had a sense in which they live in the world, not as, not as overseas missionaries, but in what they do in their everyday, whether it's actually vocationally, like um, Gary and Darcy, who also, I just realised, actually came overseas but came to us, and so that really confuses it, but you get the idea. <laughs> um, the sense in which that what God is doing out there, we want to add value to. We, we recognise it's not just all about what happens uh, in here. Um, did that make, does that make sense? You get that? Oh, could you just flick that, uh, please? It's just need to activate that. There we go. Now, this idea about being a missional church, again, so you understand, this is not just kind of how do we become cool and different and differentiate ourselves in the marketplace of all the churches and let's, you know, that could be possible to, to maybe do that. The reason why this church has been a missional church way before that word was ever used in, in the same way, is because actually that is the church. This idea of shaping the church for mission. Acts 6, and I'll paraphrase the story, it's actually the first time in the early church where we, we get a look into the structure of the church because there's a problem. And the story goes that actually there was a bit of tension, there was conflict. It's a little bit maybe we probably think of low-level racism would never happen in our day and age in the church, but go figure, there you go. Because there were widows who solely relied upon the church and there was a, a bit of a controversy because the widows of Greek 
um, origin were being, were felt like, or their, their family or people feeling like they were being ignored or not preferenced over the widows who were from a Jewish origin. And they said, this is not good. And they came to the apostles, the leadership of the church, and said, yeah, we should do something about this. But the apostles said, well, look, our gifting is um, in preaching the word, um, in being apostles. But this is important. And so they came up with a solution and they changed the shape of the church. The first time we would get actually structure. And so they said, um, they say, we'll turn this responsibility, feeding, uh, brother, sorry, verse three, brothers and sisters choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We'll turn this responsibility over to them. We'll give our attention to prayer and ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith, of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Chorus, Nick, Nick, um, Phil, Brocky, Nick, Tim, Palmy, uh, Nikki the Jew. No, Nikki from Antioch, the other Nikki. They chose those guys who were, and they did the job. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed, laid hands on them. So the word of God spread. Now, whenever in Acts, Luke does this thing in Acts when he wants you to pay attention. This is important. What just happened here is important because he finishes the passage by saying, by the way, this worked. He does that a number of times. He talks about the, the, the believers were, uh, had everything in common. They were meeting in every day. They devoted themselves. You know that passage, Acts 2.42? They devoted themselves to the Apostles' Prayer. And at the end it said, and their numbers were added to daily. He does that about three or four times. So Luke is saying, this was really important. There's a way in which, and perhaps you've heard this, where you can sort of exegete this passage and say, see, what happened here was the apostle said, we've got spiritual things to do, so there's some practical stuff, and we're going to give that to the deacons. And that would be a really poor reading of what's going on here because, again, Luke wants you to know that they chose people who were known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. This was not just get this job done so we can do the spiritual stuff. This was saying, this is the mission of God. These widows... Who are, who are vulnerable and don't have food, that is the mission of God. The proclaiming of the word, um, the, the kind of declaring the word of God, that's the word. It's all important. We'll just need to change the way we do things if it's not getting done. That is the beginning of the missional church. We will shape ourselves so that the mission of God in the world does not suffer. So the question now that should be burning on your minds on the edge of your lips. It's not that one because I answered it. What is God's mission in the world? How would we define God's mission in the world? Take 30 seconds to talk to someone next to you to say, what do you think God's mission in the world is? How would you define that? Ready to say, oh, I mean that. Is he really asking us to talk to each other? Yes, he is. What is God's mission in the world? Quickly shout out, what's God's mission in the world? How would we explain it? Let's just throw some words at it. Reconciliation with, Reconciliation with himself. Excellent. 
What else we got? Bring people to Jesus. Bring heaven to earth. Restore creation. Discipleship. Care of those in need. God's love. It's all right. It's all correct. Um, here is the best and most succinct. So now we're going to Alan. Uh, had a quote before from Alan Hirsch. This is Michael Frost, Frost, Dr. Michael Frost. And it is the most concise answer that I know about. So what is the mission of God in the world? And the way we arrive at this is the, the same question. Say, what, what is God up to in the world? And the way to get to that to say, what was Jesus up to? It's exactly the same question, isn't it? Because Jesus came to, to sort of embody this is what it looks like to be fully devoted to God's mission in the world. So it's the same question. What was Jesus up to? To declare and demonstrate the rule and reign of God through Jesus Christ. That is the most concise, sharp, and there's so much in that. There's a whole teaching series in to declare and demonstrate. Flashback to Acts 6. Demonstrate. Loving people. Widows are vulnerable and need food. Demonstrate that when, in the words of the great apostle B.B. King, when love comes to town, <laughs> widows get fed and cared for. But it's also to declare it. A couple of weeks ago, remember I, I took us through um, very quickly, Matthew is written with a very intentional flow that Jesus comes and starts his ministry and he starts by what? The Sermon on the Mount. He's declaring this is what the kingdom is all about. He continues to begin his sermons all the time with the same little phrase. Repent for the kingdom of God. He's saying, turn around because the kingdom of God, what it looks like when God rules and reigns in your life, this is what it looks like. He was doing a sneaky nod to the literally saying, this is what it looks like when a life is fully given over. And so he speaks to this and he says all these radical turn the world upside down things. He comes down off the mountain and he goes and puts his hand on a leper. He goes and heals a Roman centurion's daughter. He goes and the, the woman who'd been bleeding for years and was a social outcast, he heals her and he, he's reconciliation, healing, love. He's saying this is what he looks like. And after that passage, do you know what he then does? Says to his disciples, right, go. De declare, demonstrate, send. And there it is. There's the mission. You've seen it. You've heard me talk about it. You've seen what it looks now you go and do it. You go and do that. I'm going to play a video now as we finish because I'm going to let Michael Frost speak because I wanted to say this, to unpack this as well as I could, but no one does it better than this. The mission of God in the world, it's so compelling. This is what we're on about. So we're going to play this and at the end we're going to, we're going to finish there. But this is the mission of God in the world. This is what we want to shape our lives around, what we want to send people into doing. It's what I hope you recognise week after week, us doing by getting people up. How, do we, how are we shaping ourselves around this? Well, but we're saying at Christmas time, we're not going to... We recognise if we try and do a big thing, it might take you away from things you're going to do. These things are already happening. All we want is just five people to join one of those things because they're already happening. Lynn's already going out there. She's doing a Christmas. Could five of you go and take an acoustic guitar and help her out? Because she's already doing something beautiful and wonderful. The kids are going to go, well, could another five of you go? Could, could we just, rather than doing our own thing, having the, the energy drawing in, when we know energy's up, let's send out. 
join with what God's already doing. Have a listen to this. Cofrost, uh, affiliated with Forge America. Might just need to glitch to me, which. Uh, yeah. Hi there, this is Michael just Frost, uh, affiliated of our primary work. Hi there, this is Michael Frost, uh, affiliated of Forge America. Forge Sydney, which. I'm the director of. Uh, I live in Sydney, Australia. It's great to be with you guys. Um, it's always great to be with Exponential. Uh, I want to remind you about some stuff. I think you probably already know this, but. Um, I'm going to try and restate it again for you. I, I needed to be clear that one of my fundamental views is this, that the mission of God's people can never just be reduced to church planting. It can never just be reduced to church growth. It can't even just be reduced to saving souls. Uh, even though those are all really important and good outcomes of the mission of God's people, the most important thing is to remember the core mission of God's people is to alert everyone everywhere to the universal reign of God through Christ. And if we do that successfully, churches get planted, churches grow, people get saved and so on. But they are the outcomes of our primary work. Committed to a fundamental belief that our God reigns totally, utterly and completely. That he could not reign anymore if he tried. That his reign is utter and total through the, the work of Christ, through his death and his resurrection and his ascension. Taking that by faith, we see that our primary work is to let everyone know that he is king. King Jesus rules over all and to announce and demonstrate what that reign looks like. So surely then one of the fundamental issues that any church planter, any church leader would want to ask themselves is what then does the reign of God in Christ look like in my context? If the reign of God is what I'm meant to alert people to, what does that look like? What am I showing them? What am I revealing to them? What am I telling them about? I want to suggest to you four things, four basic facets of the reign of God that ought to be central to all Christian ministry. Reconciliation, justice, beauty, and wholeness. I could talk about all four for ages, but let's just touch on them quickly. Reconciliation, of course it's central. Jesus the Son reconciles us uh, to God the Father, and we're born into relationship with him through the work of God the Holy Spirit. So surely reconciliation between humankind and God is central to the gospel, and you'll find in all of Paul's letters, absolutely imperative that we demonstrate what reconciliation looks like in our relationships. So therefore, I would think if we're wanting to let people know what the reign of God looks like, we should be the reconciling ones in our neighborhood. We should be reconciling races, reconciling generations, reconciling different socioeconomic groups, bringing together that which has been torn apart and separated by sin in our world, announcing that reconciliation with God is possible through Jesus, but showing it by being the most reconciled, most unified, most diverse people in the world as a counterpoint to what they see everywhere else. 
Secondly, justice. It's a no-brainer. Like the Bible is full of God calling forth justice, that the day of the Lord will be a day where all are made equal, where access is available for everyone, where no one is marginalized, no one goes hungry. That's an obvious one. So surely uh, alerting people to the reign of God would mean that we are the most hospitable, most generous ones, that we work to undo unjust structures in our cities and our neighborhoods, and we alleviate suffering wherever we see it. Thirdly, beauty. People don't often go for that one, but surely the places where you feel most connected to the presence of God, to his reign, are in the most beautiful places. When you're listening to magnificent music, it can take you into an experience of God. Beautiful art does it, but of course, creation does it. I guarantee you stand on the edge of a magnificent canyon or a top of a mountain or a beautiful beach, like you, you're leveraged toward God. Your heart is full of gratitude for having seen this magnificent place and you must give that gratitude to God. So surely beauty and the creation of beauty and the beautifying of our cities and our neighborhoods, it's not just it's a social work, it's a foretaste of the things to come. I think in the age to come when Christ returns, and the reign of God is seen utterly, totally, and completely, it will be beautiful. It will be this earth restored, renewed, and repaired. Human society restored, renewed, and repaired. Our job is to be a trailer, a foretaste, just a, a glimpse of that which is to come in Christ. So reconciliation, justice, beauty, and surely the most obvious one is wholeness. You know, when John the Baptist sent his friends to ask Jesus if he really was the Messiah or is there someone else to come, Jesus says, go back and tell John this. I am clearly the Messiah. I am ushering in the reign of God. Why? He says, because the blind can see, the lame can walk, the good news is preached to the poor. So wholeness, making that which is broken whole, healing sicknesses, driving out demons, uh, bringing uh, emotional, psychological uh, health to people. Surely these are expressions of the reign of God. And hey, if you do that as a doctor or a nurse or a therapist, that's great. But we should lay hands on some people and heal them too. Not that we heal them, but in Christ's name, he would heal them. Uh, we need to drive some demons out. We need to demonstrate to people sickness, disease, oppression, brokenness. These things will fade away when Christ restores and renews everything. The mission of God's people is to alert others to the fact that King Jesus reigns. His kingdom is a place of reconciliation, justice, beauty, and wholeness. And for us to announce, so demonstrate those things, but also to announce that you have access to this magnificent world. We might just, uh, I'll get the team to come up, the worship team to come up. That's the mission. We should shape our lives around it. Let's be a missional church, but be a missional as we finish, and I feel like this has been something that God is doing in this, in this morning, in this moment, there's been a theme. Do you know the biggest obstacle to being a missional church? Do you know what the biggest obstacle is? It's me. It's us. Because I can't declare the rule and reign of God in the world if he doesn't rule and reign in my life. The Lordship of Christ. And so as much as the missional church is sending, and you, I hope and you see that we're always about going out and sending. There is something that happens when we powerfully gather, Sunday by Sunday. One of the reasons why we want you to know Gary and Darcy 
is when you come, when they come into this place on a Sunday, they're looking to be to meet again and to impact and surrender again to the Lordship of Christ because they've got families in other countries. And so when you turn up to participate in worship and create an environment where we together re-surrender to the Lordship of Christ, we go out. We will not be a missional church if, if we don't get used to some old-fashioned words like discipleship. Jesus is not just your friend. He's not just your saviour. He's your Lord. And so there is a sense in which to declare the rule and reign of God, we better make sure he rules and reigns in our life. And Sunday by Sunday, I'm on the front there. And if you see my arms open, it's not necessarily because I'm just pursuing a wonderful touchy-feely moment with God or that might happen. It's because I know I need to submit again to the Lordship of Christ. Sunday by Sunday. And when we do that together, we become a missional people. We say, here am I, send me. So it starts from us declaring. We're going to spend just a moment as we finish. It's been a full morning. It's been a wonderful morning. We're going to worship. This song, Reign Above It All, is is an opportunity, if you want to join me, to declare the Lordship of your life. If Jesus is Lord of your life, you know who isn't? You. Your desires. Your lifestyle. Your career. Your status with your friends. If Jesus is Lord, those things aren't. And so week by week we come in and we surrender that again. And we say, we're going to go out. Here am I. Send me. Why don't you stand with me? You can join with me as we re-surrender our lives to the Lordship of Christ.